Hey everybody, welcome back to Searching for Political Identity. I hope you had a great Christmas. At the moment of this recording, and by this recording I mean this intro, it's Tuesday, the day after Christmas. A couple days ago, when my cold was further along than it is now and I sounded even worse, I interviewed a guy named Zach Giannino. Zach is attempting to become a local politician here in San Diego. He's running for, I have to look at my notes here, Central Committee in District 3. I don't know what the fuck that means, frankly. And we talked for almost an hour, and I didn't even get to that question of what that means. But we did have a really good talk, I think, about kind of his backstory, what motivates him, why he's a Republican, and what kind of impact he intends to have in San Diego. So very cool to talk to a mover and a shaker local to me. That's basically it. I just wanted to say thank you to Zach. Hello to my audience, and basically happy holidays. Without further ado, here is that conversation. So Zach Giannino, I nailed the last name, huh? Yeah, you nailed it. I'm from New Jersey, so that's why I can pronounce Italian. Where are you from San Diego originally? So great question. I'm actually I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. So all my family is in the the Boston and even in the, the New Hampshire area. And when did you come out to San Diego? Yeah, so my mom moved myself and I out from Boston to San Diego in 2000. Um, my mom wanted to, she, you know, believe it or not, she kind of woke up one day and, and, and had a very strong calling to move her and I out to San Diego. And hmm. um, we, you know, it was almost very impossible when it was first proclaimed but everything fell into place and we were able to move out here pretty pretty effortlessly luckily and i was about six seven years old when i first came to san diego mm-hmm. and how old are you now bud i just turned thir- well i turned 30 in july amazing july. i just got four years on you which means nothing you know so much of this podcast for me has been discovering that thought leaders activists they come of all shapes sizes and ages <laughs> and I've been speaking to some very young people lately, and so age is is but a number um, in, in so many ways, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I started getting into paying attention to politics and government when I was 16, 17. So when I was 16, 17, my friends and peers were certainly not paying attention to government affairs. But, um, yeah. you know, again, it, it, it people people start off at all different parts of their life, and, it you know, it's never too late to to get involved for those who may not have gotten involved in the past so i always keep that you know out there in the ether yeah absolutely so what did get you interested in government affairs at 16 and 17 when most people are partying yeah exactly so this was in high school and we were taking our kind of like our government class this is over in santee out here at west hills high school Mm-hmm. And we're taking a government class and my professor, my teacher at the time was actually a former DC lobbyist. So he brought a, a very unique perspective to our government course um, when he would talk about, you know, what should be versus what is. Um, and I think that was very profound for mm. me when kind of thinking or assuming things were pretty set in stone and everybody just kind of followed what we're supposed to. And it's, you know, far from the far from that. And the event that really was my like epiphany, eyes open, like time to go down the rabbit hole was when 
we were going over the constitution, uh, mind you, for just a week, which I also found very strange that the most important document governing this country uh, was taught to students for just a, a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, we went over different, you know, each of the amendments and all the all the elements of the Constitution. And when we got to the Eighth Amendment, um, no cruel and unusual punishment, I found that very interesting because, you know, there's there's certainly situations and scenarios in this country that the Eighth Amendment sometimes gets gray in a way. Um, and I guess where where I'm getting at is, we were talking about how different lawyers or judges interpret law or interpret, um, you know, rights. And I basically, I don't know where it came from, but when I when we were going over it, I, I created this what if, you know, scenario. And I said, well, if this happens and this happens and the United States is in this situation, you know, an X, Y, and Z, couldn't the United States administer and justify cruel and unusual punishment under that pretext. And the I'll never forget when I said this in front of the class, right? Mind you, students were just overall really not participating. They were just right. I was just thinking like, I was just imagining myself in that class. So all of a sudden you've got this amazing Pulitzer Prize worthy legal theory. And what happens? Yeah. yeah. And so I, 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 I just asked the question and the professor he's, or the teacher sits there and then he he leans up against his desk at like to sit on it and is kind of like has this stumped look on his face mm. and he's looking up in the ceiling and then Thinking. he kind of like yes yeah, scans the room kind of like damn right. and then looks at me and says you know what that's he's like let me actually get back to you on that oh, and then the so whole cool. class went oh and <laughs> it was kind of like i i thought to myself like what did i just do like what did i just what am i embarking you broke on? the system that is questioning something that I thought was not very questionable. And that, mm. and after that class, he actually told me to stay after. And he's like, he, you know, he just kind of went on to encourage my, the way my mind was thinking about politics and law and, and, and theory and, and just kind of the way I was looking at things through a perspective of like, you know, critically. Yeah. And, and and like, how can I punch a hole through this? And then, you know, and that's mm-hmm. like he was saying, like, that's exactly what lawyers are doing. That's what lobbyists are doing. That's what all these guys that are trying to get around different things or justify certain things are doing every day, all day. And so absolutely. So are you I, a lawyer? Did you no, go to law school? Because <laughs> no, you I think don't. like one. Yeah. So that 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 mentality got me really into being just critical of policy and, and our leaders and kind of what they're saying versus what they're doing. And, and a, a lot of it was first ideological for me. I really went down a, you know, a principal journey of, you know, what is my, like, just like yourself. And that's why I really love what you're doing because what you're doing isn't just commendable. It's, it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable about political ideology and where you are and trying to understand your, your, your system of belief, like doing that publicly um, is, is not, is not an easy undertaking, especially when you've got people who are less involved that have more opinion, you know, have seem to have a lot of opinions about your journey. Um, So I I can really relate to that, uh, that very much. I really appreciate that. No, absolutely. So, 
So yeah, that kind of me, me asking my teacher that, um, you know, about the constitution, it just, again, like I said, it, it, it bursted open a, a just really like a, you know, a line from the matrix, like a splinter in my brain. Yep. You know, yep. It was like something that something I just cracked open. Yeah. It was like an itch. It was something I had to fulfill and, and pursue and figure out. And, and I really, I really feel and felt like, well, this is my passion, my calling, my, my, my purpose, if you will. And so that after I, that was like my senior year, I believe, uh, going into senior year. And so as a graduation gift, my mom, I don't know how she got the funds again, she works magic, but she was able to get me a new iPad. Um, and after graduating high school in 2011, that entire summer where everybody was like, yeah, no more school, we're free, we're yada, yada, like even though college potentially was right around the corner, um, I just, I did not stop learning. I did not mm. break, I did not AK, I did not, do, I did nothing but lock myself in my room, learn about who wrote the constitution, why'd they write it, where'd they come from, why'd they leave, why, you know, what, what just start backtracing and going through all of the history I could get my hands on and, and trying to paint the biggest, largest picture of, of where we are today. Because if you don't know what happened in the past, I genuinely don't believe you have much of a sense of what's happening today. And so I, ha I felt obligated to learn the history of this country, the history of the philosophies of this country. And then beyond that, where did the philosophies that built this country come from? And that brought me into, you know, starting going down the ancient philosophy, you know, pathway. And long story short, that, you know, when people ask me like, oh, well, you know, why are why are you a Republican? And and they think I'm gonna, you know, say something like, oh, well, you know, Reagan or oh, you know, John McCain or or Trump or, you know, and truthfully, it nobody is alive today that has influenced my Republican philosophy. Um, you know, people like Aristotle, Thomas Paine, John Locke, Abraham Lincoln even parts of Machiavelli that explain kind of modern politics. Those are the things that, that give me my fuel um, to be and, and to champion Republicanism by, you know, a party who is going to, you know, decide whether or not they're, they're principled or ethical when it suits them best. Like that's not, that's not, that's not principle. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what, what, kick-started my my uh my civic duty pursuit um wow yeah. it's really powerful the way that your mother's love and the ipad and the learning and then of course the burning desire within you so it's a combination of family and love and passion and excitement and commitment on your part and so i'm honored to connect with you because that's exactly what I could have hoped for when I started this thing is connect with people who are curious, who are thinking. It's just an honor. And wow. it's a great it's a great story. And how how did you get connected with the young Republicans? What big what role do they play in your life now? Yeah. So I guess the best place to pick up is in after I graduated UCSD in 2017, uh, I got a lot, you know, I felt like I okay, I have my degree, I have years of of you know, challenging professors that are on CNN, you know, like I've, I was very privileged to be around a lot of movers and shakers at UCSD to, to, to sharpen my, my stances. So from, from UCSD 2018, I ran for city council in 2018. 
So in Santee here, a city in San Diego, East County, I lived there for 14 years. The city, the people, a lot was given to me in that city that I felt very connected to and that I wanted to give back and make the city a better place to live in a, in a more uh, transparent government and move truthfully move the government into the 21st century. Um, and that, that got me kind of in the realm of putting me on the radar of, you know, again, the movers and shakers of, of local politics. And so I've always been someone that's wanted to be, you know, involved a part of a, a of a mechanism that can usher in change, whether that's just me and my voice or me and an organization. So I, in 2020, right as the pandemic hit, um, you know, things seemed to slow down, but at the same time, things were moving faster than I've ever seen as a politically aware person. And so that made me even more, okay, I need to get in, I need to get into something, onto something, work with something to, to speak on these issues, because it seems like we're getting steamrolled by a lot of fear and, and uncertainty, and that's no way to to govern. And so I decided to reach out to the young Republicans who I connected with their, the president at the time, Morgan Kimborough, who I, I must admit, he had a very difficult task on trying to keep that afloat active, the uh, San Diego young Republicans, because, you know, nobody wanted to do anything and, and him and I would try to strategize. Um, but the membership wasn't as strong at that time. And it, it started to people kind of started to 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 break off you know and and with with such strong you know not to make this left versus right but with such strong democrat rule here in san diego and with the policies being so clearly uh i guess one sided it there was much of a sense of disenfranchised um further disenfranchisement from the community so Morgan is a uh, is a part of the military, and so with reserve stuff, couldn't dedicate as much, and his term was up. So he handed over SDYR to Cynthia Cowie. Um, I stayed on the board as a regular board member, but then when we switched, I became the vice president of SDYR, and Cynthia became the president. Cynthia is a uh, she's worked on many campaigns. Right now, she serves as um, a, an executive staffer in the office of John McCann, mayor of Chula Vista, but to make a long, I'm kind of, I can be long, long winded. No, 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 it's good. A lot of context to everything, but, um, getting, you know, how do I put this? The best way to make things really change it, beyond just being kind of someone online talking and, and and making statements and stances and and stuff, which has been very beneficial to me, it's been getting like physically involved. And so, um, again, in twenty well to go back a little bit in twenty twenty one, I started fed up with Fletcher, which was a campaign slash pack to go after current uh, former. San Diego Supervisor Chair Nathan Fletcher. Um, and so 2021 was where 2021 to 2022 was really where my focus was just purely at. Um, March 2023, 
Cynthia and I decided we're going to grow the living crap out of SDYR. We are going to make the San Diego Young Republicans a an active, a serious, a legitimate, and a robust mm. organization that stops throwing our hands up when it comes to the youth here in San Diego um, that lean Republican or or conservative, because it's been a demonized sentiment here, and um, I really. I, I have a lot of passion in cleaning that, that stigma up and and re rebranding kind of how we approach San Diego politics from the Republican perspective. So that's kind of mm-hmm. given me a mechanism to to really influence the party itself because again, um, you know, I can be a maverick, which I definitely consider myself as one, but unless I have and I'm utilizing, you know, actual structures to push forward what I want to see, um, then it's it can be a lot more challenging. So that's kind of why I'm currently the SDYR vice president, along with many other reasons. But that's kind of what got me onto, you know, yeah, on the ground. Inches, yeah, on the ground. Yep, yep. yep. Now that's cool because you have a great social media presence. You're really good at it, but to your point, you wanted to make it stick. And so you're really doing this. I have a couple questions and I want to hit them. Uh, maybe I'll ask them to you kind of at the same time and let you give me an answer. And then I want to circle back to the political philosophy because you've done so much studying of it and it's so in- integral to my search. But the few things I want to get to now are what's a technocrat? You have that in your bio. What change do you want to see? What office, what is this office that you're running for? And how, you know, basically those are the questions that I want to hit now. That's perfect. And I can answer that all together. So fast to the, to the latter part, um, I am, yes, I am a candidate running for the San Diego Republican party central committee for district three, which is the supervisor district three. They're using the supervisor districts to elect these county Republican Party board members. The Democrat Party does the same thing um, to elect their central committee members. But basically, a um, so now so now that you, I established just that bare skeleton, a technocratic Republican, um, I consider myself that because for many reasons. One, I think Republicanism in the 21st century isn't going to look like Republicanism in ancient Greece. Although the philosophies can translate to where we are today, technology is a huge part of how we interact, how we communicate, how our government communicates, how our government informs, how our government controls, how it how it organizes. And so being aware of how data, um, how, how data, our, our online presence, how all of these things are, are transcribed for our government is important. And I think we've got a lot of ex- examples um, you know, people like Edward Snowden and a long list of people that show where abuses of this technology can be life or death. And I think being for me, being a technocratic Republican is I truly believe in the power of technology. I'm a big proponent of technology actually assisting the public in holding our government a tremendous amount more accountable, um, keeping them way more transparent and allowing the public direct access to its affairs. So I want to see more technology empower the the person, the individual, vice the 
technology empowering the government, which it's doing. And to me, I think our data and the way that's tracked and the way that's manipulated and, and the way that we're manipulated based off that data is a big vulnerability because, you know, data is our identity today. And um, I don't know if you've ever experienced with identity theft or people faking your identity, but I literally made a highlight on my Instagram page of over the last, I mean, I've been dealing with it for 10 years, but the last like five has been wildly active in people making fake 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 profiles of me and using my identity and trying to scam people and 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 so those those types of things if we take a backseat you know position on it's gonna it's gonna steamroll public discourse even more especially when you introduce ai so to me being a technocratic republican is leaning into the technological world we live in and how we can hold it accountable empower individual rights and and you know, really give people economic freedom. There's so many ways to give people an empowered position in today's economy that truthfully, the, you know, the powers that be at the highest level have no interest in, in facilitating and that like blockchain, mm -hmm. um, no major big banks and stuff like that do utilize it. Government is weary of it because not because of their worried of, of breaches or anything, but they're, I, I think they're worried because of the level of oversight it will it will provide the public. And, and you know, I think it's clear to see that there's a lot of dirty, dirty, dirty things going on that uh, blockchain would just highlight um, transactional. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's my. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really believe in, in, you know, data solution oriented, evidence based, you know, like I said, smart technology that empowers the public and not just the government. Um, and that, that goes into a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah that's into education cool. with artificial intelligence. People are afraid of it. Um, and places like China are embracing it and they're integrating it and they're, and they're equipping their, their, their youth with AI technology to learn faster, to learn quicker, to learn more. And it's like, why are we so reluctant to alter our way of teaching? Because teaching kids like we're gonna we live in the industrial revolution you know industrial days uh is the reason we're 30th 50th in the world in in arithmetic and mathematics you know all these types of areas of uh education it's it's horrible so again being wise and aware of what technology is is available but by being cautious of it too because you know, 1984 is also on the other side of this. Um, right. So good point. Yeah, that's kind that's of a fine line. Then it is a fine line. And I and I there's that's the scary part is because when innovation is happening, that fine line is willfully and deliberately ignored in, in, in the, you know, in the leap for innovation, right, and and profiteering and, you know, just capitalism, right? We want to want different companies want to make the best, most expansive product, but at what expense to the public? And I think that's the conversation um, we need to have about all of this AI and, and, you know, not to, not to regulate it out of existence, but to, to ensure it's not doing malicious, heinous things, which we already, which we already know it's doing. Um, I'm sure you're aware of some of the, Give me no. Give me some examples. 
So the latest scam that AI is using is uh, they'll call you on a, like a random number and you'll answer, you'll say hello, you know, and then they may like say something or like break up something and then you'll say something else and then it'll hang up. And then just that brief conversation, you've given them your voice identity. And once they have that voice identity, they're able to take that, your vocal, your vocal frequencies and translate that into a script of their pleasing and because of all of our data and the way it's not protected out in the ether they can find out and cross-reference who your family is so now that i've got brian's voice i know brian's family i can call brian's family with brian's voice urging assistance money help um you name it to scam family members and so that I, I would urge you and any listener to to look into these AI scams, voice voice AI scams, because they are very convincing. Um, and it's being it's being spoken about to those aware of this to have a safe word, to have a safe word with those loved ones that only you guys know that allows any bypass of, you know, is this really you or like, are you serious right now? Like, this is crazy because they are crazy events. It's like, oh, I just got stopped and the cops being unreasonable. I'm booked. I need bail. Yada, da, da, da. And it's it's very elaborate. I mean, it's ruined people's lives in the sense of creating a lot of turmoil and distress for people that have lost savings because their kid called, you know, hysterically. And so the AI is in that case, acting on behalf of some criminal, probably it doesn't really matter. The point is, it's happening. But or is are these is the idea that there are these AI entities out there that are just bad? So it's it's most likely uh, what is it's being deployed by some type of you know under you know black market AI firm that is you know, deploying bots or deploying this AI to a list of numbers to do this type of work. Because AI can do it all on its own, right? You 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 program it to do A, B, and C, and it'll understand ways to do A, B, and C. And so then it does that on its own. But it is, you know, being managed for the most part by, you know, somebody in, you know, Oklahoma or somebody in Russia. I mean, some, it, it yeah, it's... It's not good either way. No, it's a it's great not. tip for the safe word. Wow. Very scary. So yeah. it's a fine line. Technology is becoming increasingly life-changing. Absolutely. And you're saying lean in. So that's interesting. So what yeah. changes do you want to see in San Diego? And what, what can you do from the office that you're seeking? Yeah. So there's three main kind of bullet areas that I believe um, need to be leaned into again um, from the Republican context. So the first one it, I think is probably the most important one based not just on online chatter, but I mean, my actual interactions through not just recently, but throughout the years here in San Diego, my number one issue is to, to improve the diverse, the diversification of the Republican party. So, you know, right now, um, Strangely enough, again, being a student of history, this is a very strange reality we live in. But uh, right now, the Republican Party has a horrible stigma of being 
not just a racist party, but being an all white, just, you know, Southern or, you know, very, there's a lot of really uh, not accurate, I would say, stigmas that are used to paint all Republicans a certain way. And it's by design. It's by strategy. Yeah. Our, our and, local- and, and I think you're winning that war. Obviously, you're a soldier in that war. And wouldn't you don't you think the tide's turning in your favor a bit? I, genuinely, honest to God, absolutely. And it's something that takes, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. But if you if you subscribe to the philosophy of, you know, small victories every day, all I've been doing, all we and I feel like I've been doing is winning. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's awesome. It's a mentality of of believing what you're doing is correct. Believing your uh, theory is correct. And exactly. And people it, about it. It's almost like a business person, right? A businessman is going to is going to pursue a product out of a, a, you know, most part to help the most amount of people or to provide a service. Um, and same goes with political entre- entrepreneurs. Um, I see I, I've located a very specific and problematic gap in the way we uh, outreach, in the way we communicate and message. And I want to go head first at that. So that's reaching out to the Black Chamber of Commerce, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the San Diego API coalitions, the even the LGBT log cabin Republicans. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's enough and a crazy amount of LGBT Republicans here in San Diego that are are hiding from the, their own, you know, from their political identity. Mm. And I think that's shameful. Um, because, so interesting in the context oh, it, of it, my it, little podcast. Yeah. And it's very much real. I get contacted all the time. I've got a lot of LGBT friends that I went to school with. They're afraid a, to come out. They're afraid. They're ironically, they're afraid to come out because of the persecutions <laughs> they receive from from their own community. Holy and I think that's smokes. shameful. And and there's leaders within the, the the you know the LGBT community that want to have that support, that want to have that that embraced outreach. And you know, if the stigma persists, then the stigma is that Republicans want nothing to do with LGBT people because they're a bunch of sinners. And I'm not a religious Republican, so when I look mm-hmm. at Republican philosophy, mm-hmm. I think those types of religious takes are actually not Republican in all, at all, um, ironically. And so I'm very right. much, I, I very much keep a check on, on um, theocratic fascism elements. Yeah, like like you know, like the abortion conversation. Like you, you know, to a degree, there's there's very much not Republican stances being made by the Republican Party on abortion, and I don't understand you know, the, the fight to say the state is too much in our, our business with vaccines and my body, my choice, but then turn around and tell a woman that she doesn't have the authority over her own body. And the state has that jurisdiction. Like that's, that's complete hypocrisy. And if we're not consistent, then we're not credible. That's why when the vaccines came and everyone tried, the Republicans tried saying, Oh, my body, my choice. They were all fucking, they were all laughed at. They were all laughed at because it was like, well, where's that sentiment over here? And it's not there. And it's, you know, there's cherry picking, wordsmithing and and right. all this all this kind of like, well, no, that's different. It's like, nah, at the end of the day, you may not agree with that person's worldview. But if it's but when we're talking about the social contract between you and your government, there should be some consistency. Mm. Um, otherwise, we get into what, again, ancient philosophers talked about the uh, tyranny of the majority and social tyranny. And yeah, tyranny of the majority is where. Fifty-one percent wants to dominate and own and control yeah. the forty-nine percent, um, and that's tribalistic politics. And that's I don't I you know I don't lean into that. I don't lean into the culture rage against you know um, 
you know, I have a, like I said, a lot of Democrat friends and I've earned a lot of respect from Democrats, not because, oh, you know, they just agree with everything, but because I'm willing to not just make, you know, I was on the debate team in, in college. So I'm, I have no problem saying, hey, you know what, that right, that right there is actually a good idea. Let's improve that idea by doing mm -hmm. X, Y, or let's, or let's keep this and then stop that, you know, Mm -hmm. But to, there's such a doubling down phenomenon happening by more sensational Republicans today that is like, no, they say anything and I I'm against it. I'm a contrarian against it immediately. And Democrats are are, are absolutely uh, guilty of this as well. And a, a local example of that is with our police issue. We have an issue here in San Diego with prostitution where a lot of young women are prostituting themselves on the streets over near like the uh where is it uh, Rosecrans I think or something over near like the bases and and kind of the industrial areas and the there's laws on the California books that that basically tie the hands of police officers from engaging on taking these girls off the street that are clearly sex working um because it's you know it's discrimination now now you're discriminating on that person's life you know their their choices but it's like but there's a sex trafficking ring that's running right through this exact area and and people and yet we've we've allowed ourselves to um to to make it so so okay so the point is a republican went on tv here in san diego and was upset about the fact the police couldn't do anything and the newscaster mentioned that a Democrat here in San Diego mentioned the same thing. And we're also concerned that the police weren't able to help protect the community when it came to this type of stuff. And that Republican, when, when asked about this, took not a split second to immediately bash the Democrat for taking too long on the issue rather than using it as an opportunity to push forward what I would think is a collective benefit. You know, and it's like that kind of arbitrary, frivolous just you know well, well well if he said it then well screw that it's like yeah that's going to be the easy destruction of us faster than anything and and so not being solutions based yeah like let's let's lo actually look for stuff that win-win a debate is not about proving somebody wrong the the ancient greeks did not debate to be right or wrong they debated to flush out ideas to get to a consensus a win-win right the idea of compromise is dirty today it's a dirty word people think you're compromising your values it's like no you you don't you you compromise on maybe the everything you wanted, but because you got what you wanted and the other side got what they wanted, you move forward. And because you permit them to get what they want and you are you are given what you want, it sets a better tone for the next interaction. But it's like mm -hmm. we're, we're we're far away from that kind of process or discourse that again philosophers that I've been influenced by have all emphasized the dear and great importance of. So it's kind of reminding people of Republican values, using modern technology to, to facilitate that in some ways. That's why I try to be active on social media. Social media is the new public square. Um, and I find X and Twitter to be that. That's where it happens. Um, and it, we shouldn't ignore that or pretend like, oh, you know, Twitter's, a, you know, Twitter's not the real life or Twitter's not real world. It's like, um, Someone who's in the public eye, as, as somebody who's in the public eye, I can tell you first freaking hand that, yes, social media online is absolutely physically directed to the real world. I've had people interact with me, approach me. I've, when I ran for office, I had people drop stuff off at my door. So I 
and based on my online campaigning. So to, to hear those types of things again, tells me either the negligence to what social media does or the deliberate like denial of, of those who have influence in this realm and those who don't. Right. And um, so, yeah, that's, it's amazing. So in the two minutes we have, why why are you a Republican and not a Democrat? I understand it's a big question. would love to have you back at some point and dig deeper into it. But yeah, what's the short answer? The short answer is, again, it that's that's a this is a tricky question. Right. It, it, it's because it, because I'm so backed by a lot of content. But mm-hmm. the way I look at it is Republican values. um they're, they are universal. And I think I think we miss out on opportunities to look at those universal values like protecting individuals or holding government accountable or being truthful and ethical. Right. Those things shouldn't be. You know, just Apl- applicable to one culture, or yeah. this culture or that culture. Absolutely not. And, you know, I'm just as American as any other Democrat. I care about this community as much as just as any other Democrat, you know, proclaims that they do. So, you know, I, re- being a Republican is something that I look at as embedded in this country's culture. Right. Um, it's it's philosophies that are timeless, that. Right. You know, and and it's also a good reminder of the fact that we're not just a democracy. And I know that's kind of a, a superficial reasoning, but being, you know, a republic, a democratic republic is a very specific type of governance that should be remembered. Um, and so getting to advocate for that is something that I take value in. 100%. And, you know, we only have about 45 seconds left, but also is it a recognition that the Democrats maybe don't seem to share those values and it's there's a value split, a culture split that maybe is worth further investigation. What do you think about that? Absolutely. And that's why I take time to 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 question different Democrats on their own values or their own proclamations, because, you know, you can say like Todd Gloria, let's end excessive surveillance of our communities um, and campaign on that and then win. But then he gets elected and turns around and enacts one of the most largest surveillance programs in the country. So mm. um, holding people to their values is something that I do myself and I try to do to others. And so if anything, iron sharpens iron, I'd rather have. So iron, iron sharpens iron. Did you have any conclusory thoughts about the dig you made at Todd Gloria? Yeah. You know, like I said, iron sharpens iron, holding, holding elected officials accountable to their words. Um, You asked me if I find Democrats doing this right now. No, I don't. Um, And I, and I think if you, talked to any of them in a serious manner, you would see that they probably give us a grin or a smile because a lot of things are not being held accountable, but because there's this sense of winning, people just want to win. And so if their demo, if their D can win, that's all they care about. And I think that's very, I think that's unethical. And I think um, by that, by Democrats holding their own accountable, it, it makes everybody better off. Because those accountable concerns are going to be shared by Republicans. But again, if if there's no concern from Democrat voters or people to hold Democrat leaders accountable, then that means it's on the shoulders of the opposition party, which is the. Yeah. And if you don't, if the two sides, the voters, the politicians don't agree on what's right, 
then you don't agree on what should be and what you should be held accountable for. If you don't agree on basic things, then you're not going to get to holding each other accountable. Yeah, exactly. And the idea that like, oh, I'm elected by, I, I, you know, I serve those who elected me. It's like, well, no, that's actually not how this goes. You, you are elected over a district of a jurisdiction of all of the people in that district, whether they voted for you or not. So mm. this idea of I'm going to get elected and I'm going to, I'm going to swing bats just for my side is atrocious governance because mm. you're, you're seeding even more division from those you didn't win over, but you still have the responsibility of representing. And I, and I think that mm-hmm. is, is very much lost from here locally. Um, and I could refer you to the last three plus years of the middle finger that's been given to Republican voters here in San Diego. Right. Well, listen, we have to do this again. If Absolutely. you're open to it. Yeah. No, I appreciate you. You're such a strong presence online and obviously in person as well. I mean, you've made that clear. You've dedicated yourself for years now, it sounds like, to making a difference. And I'm sincerely wishing you the best. I hope you get in there and start enacting your things. We only got to really the first of your three bullet points, which was to diversify the Republican (laughs) Party. But we'll dig into it more. Yeah, no. Good chatting with you. And I'm excited for you and honored to have connected, really. Honestly, Brian, I really appreciate this opportunity. I, I, again, I applaud your journey as I relate and connect a lot to the way you're going about it in a, in a public manner. Um, would definitely love to jump on again another time. There's, there's, I'm sure there's definitely things that we can break down and have a great conversation about. So I definitely appreciate you. And uh, just, yeah, the, the election is March 24th. There's any Republican voter living in by the district and I'll put some links to your website as well. But thank you, man. Yeah, no, this was a great introductory conversation, and I look forward to digging deeper.